Welcome to Utilizing Tech, the podcast about emerging technology from Gestalt IT. This season of Utilizing Tech focuses on edge computing, which demands a new approach to compute, storage, networking, and more. I'm your host, Stephen Foskett, organizer of Tech Field Day and publisher of Gestalt IT. Joining me today as my co-host is Alistair Cook. Welcome to the show, Al. Thank you, Stephen. It's lovely to be back on the show. It's lovely to have you. And, um, you know, Al, we have been talking since, uh, well, since forever uh, about the various factors that affect uh, the computing decisions we make. And yet one of the factors that we don't talk about enough is economic. Uh, I think it's easy to think, well, we've got all the money in the world. We can do anything we want. But especially when it comes to edge, that is not a valid assumption. Yeah, I, th I think you know, my background is having worked with uh, some pretty large organizations and it feels like they have infinite money. You work at a global pharmaceutical company, you soon learn how large amounts of money are. Um, but that's very different when you start looking at edge because it's like, it's like a retail business operates on very thin margins and edge is typically running out in kinds of retail businesses where there isn't a lot of money sloshing around. And the ability to extract as much value as possible, revenue in the end, uh, out of that money is important. I and mean, it's not always revenue. There are organizations that aren't revenue driven, but in the end, it's getting as much value as possible out of that spend is, seems to be much more critical at the edge. Yeah, and there's a lot of, um, there's a multiplier effect as well that we have to consider here, especially with Edge. But uh, I mean, obviously, it's the same thing is true when you're buying a bunch of servers for a cloud or data center or something. But, but with the Edge, uh, the multiplier, I think, it tends to, well, multiply real quickly. Because if you've got hundreds of sites or thousands of sites, every decision you make can make can have a huge impact on the uh, the ultimate bill and the ultimate cost effectiveness of the solution that you're you're providing so that's one of the things that uh, we were talking about uh, with our guest this week uh, carlo de fara from uh, node weaver uh, welcome to the show thank you for joining us uh, you want to introduce yourself a minute thank you very much it's a pleasure to, for me to be here as well uh, my name is uh, Carlo Lafara, CEO of Nodweaver, and I've been working in uh, the field of uh, economics for IT for the last uh, 15 years. And of course, this is an area that you know quite a lot about because you have been instrumental in developing a very practical solution for edge computing. Tell us a little bit more about this topic from your perspective. Well, the uh, overall economics of the edge is uh, a, a, something that uh, gets overlooked a lot because everyone focuses on the technology alone or on a specific uh, single use case and everything works perfectly when you are in a lab. Everything works when you have one or two servers, uh, when you have someone there that is able to uh, manage or repair something. It becomes much more difficult when you have 10,000 locations, when uh, the locations are in different uh, uh, legal jurisdictions, when you have uh, uh, problems because you are installing something on top of a telephone pole or in a place where basically it's not possible to reach uh, things uh, easily or you don't have a monitor and keyboard. So the economics should uh, take into account not only what works uh, today in a lab, but what gets deployed and what uh, will be used and what application will run there now and in the future. 
I think there's a, a really interesting point in there of this, this idea that edge locations can be as, as strange as, as something that goes at the top of a power pole. And that there must be some economic factors here that are delivering value in these places we wouldn't previously have put compute resources. And Carla, I'm interested in seeing what you've seen with customers about how they're using these cost-effective solutions to deliver value that they wouldn't previously have considered they could possibly deliver. Well, we have a wide variety of customers in many different areas, starting from industrial automation, where is our initial deployment cases were. The uh, basic idea is that edge uh, is not a single, uh, let's say, uh, concept. There is a wide spectrum of things that people call the edge. Edge is uh, a very small device that is attached to a data collector system. Uh, the edge is a video recording unit in a casino, or it may be a massive uh, processing system for doing AI in areas where maybe for legal or bandwidth reason, you're not able to send too much data. So there are lots of areas. Uh, we start from the very small devices that can fit in hand, that have uh, two physical cores and uh, just two, four gigabytes of memory, but they run very important applications. For example, recording data for something that needs to pro provide reliable timestamps. Uh, up to extremely sophisticated applications that do data processing at scale. So it's a wide variety of applications. It's interesting to me, Carlo, that one of the things that you start with when talking about this is not the constraints of finance, but the constraints of technology that may demand uh, compromise in finance. In other words, you didn't come to it right off the bat and say, oh yes, edge is, uh, you know, you can quickly get things too expensive and you've got to control costs. You came to it and said, people want to control costs and sometimes the technologists have to come back and say, no, 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 we need a system that's good enough uh, here. Yeah. Am I meet, reading you wrong or is that really where, you're, where you're, you, you, you start with your conversations? No, the, the edge is about the application. Uh, it's uh, the technology comes last. What you care about is that, for example, you have a predictive maintenance system and you need to collect information at a certain speed. And so you have a, a certain amount of data to be delivered and processed in a certain amount of uh, time. That is the key constraint, the application, because that's what drives the value for the company, for the end user. When you have that, everything else is added cost. Uh, the ideal situation would be to minimize the hardware that is needed to deploy and execute this application. And the second aspect is uh, everything else, because uh, you need to send the hardware somewhere. Someone has to install it and someone has to manage these devices in the field. So what we look at is to minimize the total cost of ownership and management for a wide range of applications and for a long period of time. There are customers that deploy applications that will be in the field for 10 to 15 years, which means that you have to think about things about like hardware replacement. Uh, how do we replace the hardware? How, what kind of uh, uh, complexity does it involve? Do we need to shut things down? Do we need to send a trained technician? We have a customer in uh, uh, the south uh, uh, of Sahara, and it takes two days by drive to reach there. 
And if you have to send a trained technician, you have first to find one there, and then you have to pay for him to go there. It's a huge cost. I think that also hits on, on a really important idea that it's about total over time costs. So you know, there's a usual uh, tension between I need enough resources, enough capability to do what, what what's being asked to deliver value versus what that's going to cost for the hardware. But I think that idea of the engineer who has to drive for three days, um, that oh, sorry, two days, uh, although two days back as well, that piece. Um, highlights to me how this explodes when it goes wrong. So if we get the math wrong and the economics wrong in a data center, we might be 10, 15, 20% over, and, and in a cloud environment, that's terrible. But in an edge environment, if you get things wrong and you have to go back out and send engineers to every site, you're talking about a multiple of your normal operating cost for that site for the year. And I think that's where the, the, the focus of, of cost needs to be more the, the whole life cycle uh, of the application and remembering and then over 10 years we're probably going to want to deploy additional applications out there. There must be some tensions around having enough resources for future applications versus just current applications. Yeah, the, the big uh, issue for uh, the end user is that they start with one application that they need to deploy. They have a use case, they have the economics for it, which means that they know what kind of benefit they expect the application to bring. Uh, in terms of added value, increased reliability, and so on. The edge application is built around that initial core application. What we found is that after roughly one year or two years, they start to deploy more because they see the value of it. They are already invested in the infrastructure, the software, the knowledge that is needed to understand how to keep it up. And at that point, they start to see the value of platforms that can grow more or less linearly without having to change everything or to have to uh, drop things uh, down so uh, that it will be able to, um, let's say, uh, continue to operate even if you change the application itself. Carlo, I want to get back to one of the things you said at the very top, and that is the importance of making sure that you have a functional system in the lab. Because as you point out, it's very easy in, on your lab or on your desktop to put something together that sort of works. But to have something that is guaranteed, absolutely, definitely, 100% yeah. will work when it's deployed on site, when it's deployed at scale, and when it's deployed over time is absolutely critical. How do you do that? I mean, how can you possibly test that with, you know, and know for sure that it's going to work? Well, the key aspect is treating everything as a possible failure, both the hardware and the software. Uh, that's why there is one aspect of uh, edge, which is autonomics, the ability for the system to be able to compensate for failures, which will happen. If there is one thing that will be certain is that you will have failures. So you need to have uh, a system that is able to reliably take uh, um, and handle issues like uh, storage that doesn't work, maybe sometimes work and sometimes don't. Like, for example, we have a system that has been deployed in a platform that we discovered later on that was, was uh, vibrating. So when it started vibrating, the storage stopped working and it, it started uh, back again after a few minutes. Or you have systems that overheat, like we had one in Ethiopia, which is, uh, uh, let's say, basically exposed under the sun. 
uh, everything, including the software components themselves, needs to be treated as something that can uh, fail and needs to be able to restart or compensate automatically. When you have something like this, you can be reasonably secure that you have a minimum level of uh, uh, support for the infrastructure for supporting your application and eventually have someone that can do the fine-tuning if it's needed. But the idea is that when you deploy 10,000 systems, you will have roughly 1% that do have some kind of failure. And you need to make sure that this failure are handled automatically because otherwise you are looking at having a full staff of 10 people or so just doing uh, fight fighting. Do you see customers looking to, to receive that sort of redundancy and, and reliability out of an underlying platform, which is more akin to how enterprises build, build their applications? Right? That application can assume everything underneath it is perfect. Or do you see customers building it more like it runs on a cloud where uh, your application has to tolerate the underlying infrastructure failing? Or is it a combination of both of those things that comes together to build the system? That's a very good question. It really depends on the customer uh, and the kind of uh, basic technology choices that they make uh, when deploy an application. What we saw uh, from our current customers is that, uh, first of all, despite all the talk about containers, a vast majority of them still deploy VMs. Uh, they do have homegrown VMs. They do have application from major providers that still run in VMs and they will keep to be run in VMs for a long time. So you need to have some underlying layer that provides reliability for these VMs. You cannot simply expect uh, uh, everything to be handled at the application level. We see a movement towards uh, reliability at the highest level, uh, for example, through Kubernetes uh, or other, let's say, management platforms. The biggest problem is that some of this platform come from the world of the data center, especially large scale data centers. So they expect uh, a level of availability and in a quantity of resources that sometimes is not available at the edge. Uh, we know a customer that started in the edge to deploy a, a platform based on Kubernetes and they started by saying, okay, we need to boot it 192 gigabytes of memory. And basically, the, when the technician said, okay, we have a, a space for something that is book-sized and should consume no more than 40, power, 40 watts, and basically it will have 8 gigabytes of memory, say, oh, well, then we were not using Kubernetes. Uh, the biggest point is that, again, the application is king. What drives everything is the application. If the application runs in a VM, then we need to provide the reliability for it. If it runs in containers, sometimes uh, it's done by the uh, higher levels. Most of the time, they expect some uh, aspect of manageability and reliability to be provided by the platform anyway. I think you highlighted a recurring theme that, that although the dream of the edge is sold on Kubernetes and containers. The reality of the edge is, is still a heck of a lot of legacy or what we n normally refer to as production. Um, and I think that, yeah, that perspective on Kubernetes as, as being heavyweight is not uncommon. And how do you run a Kubernetes cluster at the top of a power pole or uh, the, the 
container orchestration also hits in a whole other dimension when you're talking about edge because Kubernetes wasn't designed for running 10,000 yeah. uh, clusters. It was designed to run 10,000 containers in a cluster. Uh, so there's, and there's and then there's, there's the disconnection aspect as well, Alistair, that we've talked about, where it was not designed to have occasional or, or interrupted connectivity and so on. Yeah, and we see a lot, that a lot in things that work really well on the cloud that are then being pushed out to edge. Some of the larger edge solutions, they say, well, it all runs nicely so long as you've got a full-time connection, but you, it, it doesn't operate by itself without. And I think one of the things uh, I liked about the Node Weaver solution as I was looking at it was the idea about this autonomic management and having a minimal required infrastructure, because they do this, this thing called DNS ops, where rather than having a heavyweight infrastructure to deliver configuration, it's just look up some DNS entries to find your configuration. Carlo, how much infrastructure do, do customers actually need to have in place in order to be able to get some value out of um, edge, edge platforms? And on the one you know the most, of course, is Node Weaver. Well, on the edge side, we have customers that deploy uh, applications. For example, in the industrial world, uh, they do have uh, uh, fanless systems with two physical cores and eight gigabytes of memory. So they are very small. Uh, we do lots of uh, industrial uh, controls like SCADA. that tends to be Windows machines with 16 gigabytes of memory. Uh, and uh, the, uh, let's say, infrastructure side tends to be very light because DNS is universal. It works uh, and is distributed, is reliable. It takes a very uh, UDP packets, so they, they are very fast, very quick. And the uh, overall uh, layer, including, for example, all the monitoring, distributed monitoring aspect, usually it takes uh, one or two VMs uh, stored somewhere just to, to archive the data for logs and something like this. So it's uh, something that can be done really by uh, any company of any size. Um, I think that some of the people in an enterprise might disagree with you about the reliability of DNS, but I, I should point out that the unreliability that people encounter is often due to changes in configuration not to uh, the uh, in inherent unreliability of the system itself. Um, I think most of, the, uh, most of the errors that we hear are actually errors that someone has just committed. Um, so given this, and, and on the VM topic as well, I think another aspect too is that even if you are 100% containerized now, there's no saying that you won't be needing a VM in the future. Because as we talked about, this thing is going to be out there for a long time. You don't want to touch it. You don't want to mess with it. Uh, you know, it, it should be ready for that uh, eventuality as well. And I think that that's another another aspect and another reason that these, I guess, hyper-converged systems, if we, if we can call them, are attractive. Because essentially, you can run anything on it. Is that the idea? I mean, you, you, NodeWeaver supports a heck of a lot of applications running on these nodes. Pretty much anything. Yeah, we have uh, going from extremely old uh, uh, systems for doing uh, microscopy and uh, running on Windows 95. Uh, we had lots of uh, applications in the financial sector. We have lots of uh, virtual network functions. One of the largest cruise ship operator has uh, all the onboard uh, networking that is done through uh, NodeWeaver and it runs uh, multiple uh, virtual appliances by major uh, vendors. 
and they all appear as uh, uh, running on bare metal and that's very important because uh, they need to be certified they some of those applications are simply not containerizable they need special kernels they need special device drivers and this means that you need to run them in a vm actually what we do is that uh, we run kubernetes as well running in what we call thin vms which are very thin hypervisors that are similar in design to intel's kata containers but they are designed to run uh, nearly everything instead of just one or two things and this way we have a fairly good efficiency we basically have the same uh, performance of a container pure container layer but it's completely insulated and so you can even run as some customers do multiple versions of kubernetes at the same time and the key is that it's inc incredibly lightweight like uh you know i mean because and I think that's the, the, the te technical differentiator here is that your uh, hypervisor is really not taking up much memory at all. And I think that when we talked about the solution, that was the thing that really impressed me was that, you know, it doesn't, it's very thin. Yeah, we had the, the possibility to work with the European Commission on a few research projects on this in minimization of the platform itself. So... Uh, we are fairly proud of being able to run the orchestrator, the autonomics, uh, store, software-defined storage, networking, and hypervisor in less than one gigabyte of memory. And that is basically a very important point from, from the economics point of view. Because if your application takes uh, a few gigabytes of memory, you are not having to buy a much larger hardware to run your application. You just need to run exactly the hardware that you need to run it uh, if it was uh, executing on bare metal. Yeah. And it's the same when it comes to storage as well. Um, as we discussed, uh, I have a lot of experience running uh, various uh, Kubernetes d flavors and distributions, and many of them take up a lot more storage than you would expect, especially as they're running over time. And, and again, that's another thing I think that people don't realize uh, that, you know, yeah, you can install it on just a few gigabytes, but pretty soon that guy's going to be consuming, you know, many, many gigabytes of, of storage capacity for logs and, you know, random stuff that Kubernetes puts out there. Yeah, the biggest problem is that Kubernetes has been designed for a different environment. Uh, in most edge devices, you have a limited amount of space because um, the devices tend to be small. They also are designed for uh, hardware that needs to be reliable, which means that it's not very fast. And uh, uh, Kubernetes uh, takes for granted that you have a nearly unlimited storage and that this storage is available, which means that it will always be there in one form or another. Uh, so uh, it's not that Kubernetes is not good. Kubernetes is a wonderful technology. The point is that trying to apply Kubernetes as is everywhere uh, brings its own uh, impedance mismatch and uh, it becomes uh, difficult to uh, adapt things uh, to the edge itself. Uh, in, uh, in our platform, storage is treated as a sort of a cross between a, a, an object storage and a transactional system. Uh, and we had to do this because uh, we take for granted that we will have shutdowns and power off and uh, hardware failures uh, in more or less continuously. In fact, one of the things that we test is that we have a server that needs to uh, be shut down um, forcibly every roughly three or four minutes. 
and we it needs to survive and uh, this is something that is not so strange we had uh, uh, customers deployment in areas like rural india where power failures are so common that are basically no one cares about them anymore but the hardware does and the software especially does your application does cycling back to the economics as we started into this uh it does seem like leaning out your application and the infrastructure that it requires is an important part but i think i, I want to bring back the idea around the over time the operational effort of getting people there getting it deployed out getting uh, hardware replacement when you find that you can deliver more value by having more hardware out um, what kind of things do you see as being important with customers around that, that journey towards making things um, far more scalable economically than maybe a data center operational model does? Well, there are a few things that we have seen in the last uh, seven years. And one, for example, is the basic assumptions that the hardware will change. You cannot take for granted that you will always have the hardware available. Uh, we had this example in uh, a retail customer during the pandemic. They had to replace a system and they had no way of having it shipped. So they had to use whatever hardware they have available, which was a PC uh, used by the secretary. So the basic idea that you always have the hardware, uh, that it, uh, there will be a technician there that is able to replace it, that the replacement uh, will be uh, transparent uh, and especially that the application will stay the same. One thing that we have found is that uh, the application mix changes with time. So the configuration, the tuning that, for example, you can do in the beginning um, to make it run optimally will not uh, be optimal one year from now. That is why we have an engine that watches what the application is doing and uses AI to adapt the hypervisor parameter to adapt to the workload that is running now because it is not the same one that was running one year ago. And you have a different volume. For example, in video streaming application, you start with 10 cameras. And after six months, there are 400 cameras on a single node and you have to change things because it will not run uh, otherwise. Uh, having someone that go there and do this kind of manual tuning is extremely costly. It needs a lot of competence and also takes, uh, uh, needs to uh, manage multiple companies and multiple vendors to work at the same time, which is like herding cats. So you need basically to have something that do it on your own. If you're able to automatically tune something to reach the 90%, 95% efficiency, you're done. You don't need anything more. Uh, that is a huge value because the customers simply see everything running as it should instead of degrading performance with time. How do you deal with the fact that a system might have multiple different node types with different hardware capability all working together? I mean, I can see that over time, you might have a very old node and a very new one and a very off-the-cuff uh, repurposed desktop or something all working together. How do you balance that? How do you decide how to make proper uh, use of the resources on those nodes? 
Well, that's, uh, uh, that's a very important point because uh, uh, one of the things that we found in the industrial world is that after five years, the hardware that you want to replace probably is not manufactured anymore. And it's so old that it's not economically effective. You need to buy something new. So what we do is to um, take not only things like uh, the CPU speed or the amount of memory, but we take into account a whole bunch of other things like how many interrupts you are processing, what kind of network card you have, and basically everything through a group of small binaries called probes that run on every system. Then we dispatch uh, the individual pieces to the individual nodes and we see how they perform. So they are going fast enough, they are going too slow, and they basically move and migrate on their own. There is no central uh, point of management. Every node watches the others and try to see, I'm not able to take any more because if I take a little bit more, I will start to degrade my performance. So please, some one of you take some of my work. And this kind of thing balances itself over time. So it's not, uh, uh, a, let's say, a precise solution, an analytically computed, but it sort of stochastically reaches the best performance over time. Yeah. And this is key to economics as well, because essentially what you're talking about is making optimal use of the equipment available and not uh, sacrificing the, the, the cost for consistency, but making you know the most you can out of the equipment available. Yeah, exactly. Also, equipment changes with time. Uh, SSD disk will become to be slower over time because they start to have too many writes. Uh, rotational units may become uh, more or less uh, damaged. And even your system can become slower because it's accumulating dust and the temperature inside grows, which is a few of things that we have found uh, over time. When you deploy this in the field, you discover lots of things. Uh, the, the key point is that having the system do it on its own without the need of a central management means that every node takes some of the load itself. It's not, uh, you need a big, very big node in the center to manage everything. And the other aspect is that this is done continuously. So the kind of balance that works today will be different 10 months from now, one year from now, when the system itself will be different. So I, I think in terms of the economics that we're talking about, there's, there's a couple of pieces here. Um, one of the things is we, we have a relatively static amount of resource available this year, and yet we need to make the best use of it as our workloads are changing over time, so we're delivering the most value. And then there's another dimension around how you actually physically operate that over time that the, the the enemy of an edge deployment is sending a human to site and particularly sending a skilled human to site um, and then there's always the when we first deploy stuff out costs so i think there's this kind of three dimensions to where things can go wrong and i think my takeaway is that at the edge these these three dimensions can each go far more extremely wrong than we would see in, in a more centralized deployment yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, it has been a huge uh, uh, effort for us in the first deployments that we did, actually to go with the customer and see what they are doing and uh, why they are doing the, 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 the thing that they do. They always have a reason. If you go in a plant, you may have uh, 
regulations, which means that, for example, your hardware has to be checked before entering, which means that you cannot bring anything in uh, outside of the hardware itself. You uh, may not be able, for security reasons, to have uh, it, an external technician to go there, which means that you have to lay things in a single sheet of paper instruction and everything needs to be done only with the screwdriver. That's why when you do, for example, zero-touch deployment, uh, you basically just uh, boot up the hardware uh, without a monitor and keyboard, because in most areas you don't have a monitor and keyboard, and you just wait, and after roughly two or three minutes, you hear the, the, the system playing a tune, which is a happy tune, which means that everything works fine, and if it's not, you hear something like a... a, a um, a bad tune, which means that uh, the hardware is not working and you need to replace it. Yeah, I think that the, these are the key, the key factors to consider. And Alistair, I really love how you summed that up. I think that the key for me is really what you pointed out there is that any of these things can explode. It's easy to think that um, the, the initial hardware choice is the the most important factor because if i if i decide that i need to deploy you know 32 gigs of ram instead of 16 gigs of ram uh, multiply that by a thousand and then there's my my total uh d the cost of that decision uh, that's really not the right way to think about it you know oh, i need to re deploy three nodes or four nodes or whatever that that's really not the right way to, to because you also have yeah. to think about growth over time you have to think about maintaining serviceability over time and as you mentioned um and, and it's so true uh, depending on the environment, uh, the operational and uh, hands-on aspects can really, really wreck the uh, economics of the entire situation. So uh, given all of this, I think that it's pretty clear to say that the optimal solution almost anywhere is going to be a system that is very flexible, uh, makes best use of the hardware at hand, and also is, as uh, Carlo was just saying, uh, very hands-off, very zero-touch. Because even if you do, even if it's not a big deal, you don't have to have somebody drive across the desert for two days to fix it, you may just not want somebody to have hands-on. You know? and, and so I think that, that, that a very uh, autonomous and configurable system is really the ideal one. So thank you so much for joining us here, Carlo. It's been very, a lot of fun talking to you. We can't wait to see you as well at Edge Field Day. Uh, before we go, where can people connect with you and continue this conversation and maybe learn more about NodeWeaver? Well, uh, they can go to our website at the nodeweaver.eu, but uh, we really would love to have everyone to uh, watch us and the Edge Field Day where we will try to show what we can do in the best possible way and especially get the questions for your attendees. Absolutely. And uh, we welcome questions during Edge Field Day as well. So. Um, please do find us on your social media, on LinkedIn, and so on. Alistair, how about you? Well, you can find me online, and it's my Dimitas NZ uh, for New Zealand brand, as well as the brown bag. I'm very involved there, so you can catch up with me at VMworld, either in the US or Europe. Uh, I'm hoping to be involved in Edgefield Day 2 as well. I really enjoyed Edgefield Day 1. And uh, definitely, the questions are an important part. This is uh, the Edgefield Day and the whole tech field day. Uh, family is about uh, a conversation between uh, vendors and technologists who who have their own perspectives and interests. Absolutely, and uh, and I do love a good demi tasse of coffee, especially New Zealand coffee. So, uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing you again, Al. 
Thank you for joining us and uh, listening to this Utilizing Edge podcast episode. This is part of the Utilizing Tech podcast series. If you enjoyed this discussion, please uh, subscribe in your favorite podcast application and consider leading, leaving a review. Uh, we would love to hear from you. This podcast was brought to you by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, head over to utilizingtech.com or find us on Twitter or Mastodon at Utilizing Tech. And as mentioned, uh, Utilizing Edge uh, or uh, Edge Field Day is coming in July, and you can learn more about that at techfieldday.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.